0: Everyone has a dream, and some people's dreams take them to extraordinary places. David Simon is one of those people. Tune in every quarter to learn how a 50-something lawyer from the U.S. navigates the ancient world of Oxford College in pursuit of an MBA.
1: We take things in a little bit different direction today as David Simon has completed his Oxford MBA degree and we have four of his colleagues come on and talk about their experiences. We have Juan Velasco Kurgulen, Tariq Zufar, Joe Odowski, and Knox McIlvain. It's a fascinating exploration of why people got this Oxford MBA, executive MBA degree, what their experience was like, and how they hope to use it going forward. David sits in as co-host with me on this special episode. I know you'll enjoy it. Back with David Simon, but we're back with not simply David, but some of his fellow colleagues slash students, ex-students, I should say, and people he went through the Oxford Executive MBA program with. So, David, I'm going to turn it over to you and maybe set us up a little bit about what we're going to do today.
0: Awesome thanks Tom and uh, thanks everybody for for joining us so uh, for anybody who's been listening to my podcast over the kind of two year um, Oxford emba journey, you've heard me talk a lot about how great my classmates are and how much I've learned from them and what a what a privilege that has been and so I thought it would be great to sort of as we sort of wrap up this experience to have. Hear from a, a bunch of um, colleagues who are also lawyers who also went through a similar journey, and it was sort of surprising to me when I started how many lawyers there were in our class. And we don't have them all. We've got a WhatsApp group that's a little bit, a little bit broader than this. But we got a great representation here today, and I'm going to let, I'm going to just sort of give you the the high level on each, very high level, and then let each maybe time it makes sense to just kind of go around the horn and let each. Person kind of just give a, a quick intro into who they are and what their practice is, and, um, and 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 then we can we can dig into some substance. So, I have my friend Joe, who's an American lawyer, my friend Tariq, who's a Pakistani lawyer, my friend Juan, who is a lawyer practicing in Colombia, and my friend Knox, who's sort of a hard to ca- hard to categorize in many ways. He's he's a former American lawyer, former partner in a UK firm and now um, moving into different, you know, different territory. So maybe we can just, maybe we'll start at the end, Knox, maybe you can go first and give a quick intro and then we'll go around and then Tom
2: can pick our brains on
0: why we did this and what we got out of it.
2: Sure. So the the high level um, spec of my career is I was a partner at Allen Overy in London in the financial services regulatory practice mostly advising global banks and asset managers and some governments on issues related to systemic risk and bank safety and soundness and derivatives and structured finance, sort of wide variety of stuff. A lot of it was driven, though, by the global financial crisis and the regulatory response to it. Before that, I was counsel at Cleary Gottlieb in both New York and London, where I started my – sorry, yeah, London and New York. I started my career in New York. and then, as David alluded to, before becoming a lawyer, I w- spent about a decade in tech uh, in various roles, including as an entrepreneur and a coder and other things. So I took on the MBA as a way of helping to transition back into more business oriented roles. I'm happy to talk more about that. Awesome. Juan, do you want to go next?
3: Yeah, sure. Thank you, David and Tom. So I'm, I'm a practicing lawyer in Colombia. I'm. And... So I'm I'm also a U.S. educated. I went to law school in the States as well. And uh, I'm currently a partner with Baker McKenzie, Columbia Office, practicing mostly transactional tax, and money tax. And in the recent years, I have been very involved in, in helping some family offices, single family offices, and multifamily offices, and well management instructor. So I, I just entered the executive MBA at Oxford with the whole idea of Gaining some skills for being a better board member in the firm I'm, I'm partnered with, uh, but I'd probably end up thinking about a totally different spectrum that we definitely going to share some ideas in this podcast.
0: Cool. All right, Tariq, why don't you go next?
4: Sure. So I'm currently a partner at Vilani in Vilani. It's one of sort of larger leading law firms in Pakistan. My sort of focus is on the infrastructure and energy side with a bit of an MA, but but primarily my focus is on the energy, a bit more focused on the renewable side. Uh, before that, I was a counselor in Pinson Mason, which is which is a UK law firm uh, in Dubai. My journey towards an MBA is is a bit more complicated in the sense that I think there were sort of a multiple. I think one was sort of try to understand more of business side because firms in Pakistan are sort of lacking that and they don't really operate as a business and I think that was something that I wanted to sort of think about focus on and I think the other thing that I sort of wanted to do was um, was to sort of focus on the business side myself as well I think energy and climate change these are things that interest me and I wanted to see what else can I do other than the law practice itself so these are the two broad motivations behind uh, exploring and going for the AMBA.
0: Right. I, mean, I think Joe is having some technical difficulties, Tom. So maybe we, uh, maybe we can just move into some questions and when Joe gets them sorted, we can, uh, we can, we can revert back, but you've got, um, you've got some incredible talent here. So uh, go ahead and start picking, picking their brains.
1: So the, I've had the chance to visit with David and we've had a great conversation over the last couple of years. And I was thinking back over our podcast and, um, we really started with, you know, at the beginning, which was why, and then his first podcast, it was, what was it like? And it was interesting in the why podcast, because actually there was a fair amount of fear. He hadn't been in academia in a long, long time. And I assume you guys, have an eater. So what was it really like to have to go back to not just an academic environment, but an incredibly rigorous academic environment with a group of colleagues who are literally at their, you know, top of their professions across the globe? What was sort of all of that experience like to step back into that atmosphere? Tariq, I'm going to start with you.
4: Thank you, Don putting me on the spot but, um incredibly difficult and uh, for me i was managing a whole practice we had a, a sort of a general difficult time which pakistan is generally going through so there was a lot of pressure on the work side there was considerable pressure on on the family side as well and so my wife um stepped up a lot <laughs> And was one of the, one of the able to actually do that was because she was able to sort of absorb a lot of responsibilities as such. So I wouldn't been able to do that. Um, and, and the firm itself, they created that space for me to do that. Um, so if, if these adjustments had not happened, I would not have been able to do the MBA program that easily. So, yes, it was incredibly difficult, but the only reason I was able to do. Was the support of the family and was the support of the firm?
1: Knox, what was it like for you to step back into an academic environment? All of us obviously have multiple degrees, and we have experienced that at some part and point in our lives. But I was really intrigued with David's journey in that part or that part of his journey. What was that part of your journey like?
2: Yeah, I um I found it really um exhilarating and invigorating. I really liked that. I, I, I like a challenge. It very much, you know, Tariq is spot on. Like, it, it takes a lot to to do this. It's a very intense program. Uh, it's lots of new material, um, new ways of thinking about stuff that you're familiar with already, perhaps, and, and, and then learning entirely new things. But that's also part of why I was there because I wanted to, um, you know, stretch the muscle, get the brain doing different things and was really invigorated by that. Um, I found some of it to be challenging. I think as lawyers, a lot of what we do is learn, um, you know, whether it's a case or a new law or or whatever it might be. A lot of our job involves learning. And, and I was sort of reminded that academia is a very particular kind of learning, um, that it's learning to think like you're in store or to, you know, give them what they're looking for and they're not often clear on what they're looking for. So I found that there is sometimes a disconnect between my um, my grade and how much I learned in a class Mm. and that some of the places where I learned the most, I actually performed. uh, I got like some of my lowest grades on, um, which, which was very interesting, I think. And I was trying to figure that out, whether that's because those were areas where I was trying to push myself into areas to apply. What I'd learned more, or whether it was the sort of um, recontextualizing things so that they fit in my own brain, may not have aligned what I was writing with what the instructors were looking for. But there was an interesting kind of pattern there, which I, which I, uh, which I noted.
0: Yeah, it, that's interesting. Next, because like I, I was actually just thinking about the same thing because. Tom, you've heard us talk before. I mean, Oxford is this total black box, right? Where you you your, your project goes off into the Oxford ether and a number comes back. And that's all, all that comes back. So none of us have gotten any feedback on anything we've done or learned other than a, a single number. It's sort of a little bit like your, your distribution as a partner in a law firm, right? It's like the one number at the end that tells you all, all you're supposed to know. Um, but it was interesting because I look back and I was I, I had sort of the opposite conclusion. I I, I was just looking at my my marks. And I'm like, interestingly, like the ones my highest marks were the ones that I was most engaged in and most like I cared most about. And I and I so I found the kind of the inverse relationship. But interesting, interesting um, observation on your part.
1: Joe, I'm going to get to you in just a minute. But Juan, I want to ask you, one of the other observations I heard from David was he continually just raved about you guys, his colleagues, and not simply just intellectual level, but the conversations you had, the different ways of looking at things. We American lawyers tend to look at things in American lawyer way, many different ideas and voices from literally around the world. What was that experience like for you?
3: In simple terms, Tom, I I would say it was a remarkable experience. Like you have this holistic approach, fully understand multiple perspectives from all over the world, and and that voice has definitely changed, and I think it's still changing my perspective of the way I look things currently. Uh, Not only from from my legal practice in better understand my clients and their needs and what they're really looking for to understand in their business or doing without legal structure or whatever might be the case, but also to better understand the world. So I think if, if, I, if I can say something regarding my Oscar experience as my, my, fellow, my fellow friends and colleagues from the program, um, their perspective was, was just remarkable for me. And and challenging myself, saying that in a very dogmatic way, you sometimes say, this is the way you have to do things. And then you listen to a totally different perspective from a totally different part of the world, saying that, no, probably it's the other way around. And, And you change your mind and have a broader perspective. I love that part of the program, definitely.
1: Joe, first of all, welcome back, and maybe we could start with you telling us a little bit about your current practice and then why you chose to enter the program and how you were able to balance work life, family family life, with an incredibly rigorous academic life.
5: So, first, can you guys hear me okay because I'm having some technical difficulty? Okay. Yeah, so... I have a fairly diverse practice, started out with a large law firm in Atlanta, moved to the South, started a small little boutique firm and, and it's truly a small town practice. And, um, so for me, you know, embracing the Oxford experience had to do with my own desire to broaden my network. And also, I had a desire to get involved with more human rights work. But I, I knew not what I was getting myself into because um, it was in many ways an overwhelming process of trying to mix full-time law practice with what f- was supposed to be a part-time EMBA master's experience. But for some of us, it felt like full-time work. Um, but just touching on something that, that Juan said, you know, this, the diversity of opinions and cultures and people was so amazing. But what I found so amazing is the sameness. That even in the middle of such diversity—68 people from 42 countries and 20+ languages—that there was remarkable sameness and an acceptance of love and kindness, and a desire to have an impact on the world that I thought I suspected might exist. But I tell you, in so many ways, it changed me. It broadened my perspective, and. The coursework, I think, that has and will help me add some tools to my tool belt. But the engagement with from across the world um, was just amazing in so many ways.
1: Now I'd like to turn to and ask if this is even possible for you to give one highlight uh, from your time. And once again, my experience in visiting with David, every episode he had new highlights. So I'm not sure... There is one highlight, but if given our group, if you could limit it, it doesn't even have to be the top highlight, but one of the top highlights. And I will tell you, for for me, the highlight was listening to David. So this podcast journey for me has allowed me to experience a little bit of what he experienced. And I should probably tell you, this podcast series inspired another colleague to go to the Cambridge Executive MBA program simply by listening to David. So that's how powerful this podcast series has been for our listeners. So with that introduction, we'll start go backwards. Juan, what was one of the top highlights for you?
3: So I, I would love to say that's something in Oxford, but for me, the Brazilian trip was amazing. So being a Latin American, uh, I found very... Different the Brazilian culture with the Colombian culture. So this the Spaniard descendants from this side of the continent, with the Portuguese descendant from the other side of the continent, totally different world, totally different experience. So I felt like a real foreigner in another country. And, and living that with my American fellows, with my Europeans, with my African friends and the Asian friends was like amazing because I was like, okay, I feel like a real foreigner and I'm in my neighborhood. And it was really incredible that all my, my fellow classmates always asked me, yeah, but this is Latin America, right? It's, it's, all the, it's all the same. And it's not, it's not all the same. Brazil is a totally different animal. So it was a, was a fantastic experience, not only for me, but also to prove my, my classmates that Latin America is a totally different uh, diverse continent in which each country has their own peculiarities and um, an understanding of the world. So that, that was a, a really remarkable
2: experience. Knox? <sighs> so the first thing that jumped to my mind, and I'm going to have to respond in that way, was just this sort of overwhelming sense of the time after class, like going to the pub, um, I just have all of these vivid memories of just spending hours chatting with people in the bar of one of the hotels that people used to stay at right in the middle of town or some of these ancient taverns that that we 'd go to and just talking with people from around the world about what we'd learned about current events about our lives um and just the two sort of the two sides of that one is just how like how much I, I grew intellectually as a person, getting contact with other cultures and other ways of thinking about the world and in um, other industries. But then also the just the deep personal growth of forming deep friendships, um, uh, you know, particularly later in life. I think it's uh, pretty unique. It's hard to do. And I've genuinely come out of this process with, you know, a dozen or so very close friends. Um, and they're not ones who I have a lot of overlap in my life with other than than Oxford. So, you know, getting to spend time, um, you know, with a Dutch aerodynamicist from Ferrari or a South African fintech pioneer or, you know, people from Australia and Hong Kong. And it, 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 uh, it's just been extraordinary. That And, and that time really Th- that's what stands out for I me and resonates the most. Joe, how
5: about you? Well, i echo Knox's comments. I can think of lots of conversations that happened after hours, learned um, about people and culture and different ideas. But one of the things that I thought was pretty cool was that we had some international trips sponsored by the school, but we also had a couple that were curated by classmates. And one of our classmates, Safe, invited us to the UAE, to Dubai, and hosted us there. And he arranged an amazing array of visits with government leaders and business leaders. But one night we had a a desert dinner, and we were able to meet with the Minister of Defense. And we sat in sort of a U-shaped no hard holds barred discussion about anything and everything. And he invited us to ask the tough questions politically, socially, and, and it was amazing to sit under the stars with this former p- political leader and then have a discussion to humanize the geopolitics. And so, and I, I was able to sit next to him at dinner for a brief period of time and, and just
4: humanized the whole exchange so it was pretty amazing. Tariq So I'll I'll sort of echo what Knox has said. I I think I think it's a bit difficult at at this stage of life to sort of form new friends in some ways you sort of live in your own silos and I think Oxford allowed us to do that. Um, I think the, the sort of highlight for me was we did a trip to Vietnam. Uh, for a course called Business in Emerging Markets, um, the I, I I think for me what was interesting was that from from all metrics, Vietnam and Pakistan were very similar in 2000, and then you see the divergence in journey where Vietnam did a phenomenal job. They really really invested in in themselves and developed themselves, and Pakistan sort of faced its own sets of difficulties, and and that journey that Vetam had interested me profoundly. And and it was interesting to see how they had sort of achieved what they had achieved, which was not an easy thing to do. That was particularly interesting for me.
1: You're not off the hook on this one, David, because I don't think I've asked you for your highlight because you've given me so many, but I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to pick
0: one like it's like picking my favorite kid not, not, not that easy not easy at all so i love i mean i loved all those stories and all those examples and and it all resonated with me i'm super jealous joe that i didn't make it to the uh the UAE trip cuz it sounds amazing and and i think the friendship point is so important and and um one of the things that i i sort of wanted to in part to my part of the reason I did this is to sort of think about what am what am I what am I teaching my kids, and part of that is, you know, pushing yourself, stretching yourself, and and making friends, and continuing to make friends throughout your life. It's not something you just do when you're in college and then stop. And I, I think one of the things, and this this may be silly, but one of the things that sort of stands out for me that sort of combines both of those two is the rowing. I mean, Tom, we've talked about this a couple of times. But our our class, pretty, we're pretty committed to doing at least one rowing outing when we were in Oxford, every module. And I think it was, it, it was super cool because I think it's sort of, it's very um, metaphorical in a sense, right? I think it represents a lot of these, these sort of more esoteric um, concepts we're talking about. It was doing something that we weren't good at, that we didn't know how to, like almost none of us knew anything about rowing. It required us to work together. It was social. I mean, it was super social. It was a way to really bond with people. Um and, you know, I mean, we weren't good at it, but we ultimately, by the, you know, by the end of the term, our our boats usually made their way up and down the river without incident. And um to me that was like a in a lot of ways sort of an embodiment of 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 all of the like great things about the program combined with the sort of the magic of Oxford and being in that place as well.
1: I'm now going to ask you guys to to maybe look forward a little bit and inquire about how you hope to use your experience, your degree, and everything you've developed through the Oxford experience going forward. And once again, I've had the chance to visit with David on some of his ideas, and they were incredibly exciting. So- for me, Tom this question is Thank probably the to one I'm looking the most for, To Because you know, of the diversity of people we have here, everyone's going to have their own own views on how they can use it. In, continue, and Tariq, I was really uh, to uh, getting a interested in, in your background, climate change, program. urban development, Yank and water. I live in production rural West Texas, so we talk about water every day. It's as universal as it could be. So I was really interested in and what, how you hope to use everything you've learned that we've talked about in the podcast. And then we'll go uh, Joe after Tariq.
4: So, Tom, one of the biggest challenges that Pakistan is going to face and has started already facing is climate change. Um, there was a major flood last year, which sort of covered almost half of, of, a, of a province. And it was not a flooding that is usually a flooding by rivers. It was a rainfall flooding never happened before in Pakistan in that particular way. We also have a major sort of a dollar crisis that is happening because when you import fuel, you have to pay it in dollars. Um, These sort of things sort of interest me because I believe that there has to be a solution that sort of focuses on a works from an economic perspective, but overall also works from a climate perspective as well um, we need to sort of reduce our utilization of fossil fuels move towards more renewable we have a large population that doesn't have access to to electricity and we have even a larger population that has access to electricity but it, it is far more expensive than they can afford and so the the sort of idea that i've been working on is to um Come up with mechanics whereby they will have access to cheaper electricity. And we're sort of working with a few contractors, suppliers to sort of come up with products that would allow them to do so. Water is is a big problem in Pakistan. One is from a drinking water perspective. Uh, We don't have good drinking water. The other one is from an agriculture perspective. A lot of water is being wasted uh, by bad agriculture and irrigation practices. Uh, the idea is to sort of help out the government into trying to optimize that utilization, which will not only increase in the acreage of farmland, but that will increase in the amount of agricultural output, which is which is one of the, which could be one of the biggest engines of economic growth. And so we're working on on a few things on that as well. Um, I think on the drinking water side, there are already models in India that have been working on that, you've got uh, what they call water ATMs. So if you're able to sort of implement something like that, sort of working closely with villages, you can uh, provide access to cheaper power and cleaner water. And that is essential. And, And I think the MBA had sort of made me to start think about that, that these are opportunities, these are the ways you can potentially structure a certain services which can be sustainable as well as not that pricey. So these are the things that I'm sort of thinking about, focusing on, talking to people, and hopefully learn something regarding that.
1: Joe, I I really wanted to pose this question to you because I'm very much intrigued about the nature of your practice and incorporating everything we've talked about into, frankly, a small-town practice. And how are you able to use what you've learned to not simply grow your business, but perhaps go in a different direction? And I'll leave it to you.
5: Yeah, welcome to the imposter syndrome and walking into an Oxford class for the first time and wondering what the heck am I doing here with the likes of these four guys and and 64 other um, people. It, and then it was interesting after a couple of modules when we got our first grades back, how there was an immediate sigh of relief palpable around the room that, okay, everyone there felt like, okay, maybe we do belong to some extent. Um, so, I started my my Oxford journey with thinking that I wanted to do more human rights work. I'd been involved um in a campaign in the Middle East. I had a client interested in that space and wanted to do something about it and He approached me about helping uh I was fine to help put together a team, but i was uh, it was i told my client that I had no experience in that area, but I could put together a pretty good team but in the process over several years period, was really frustrated with the lack of coordination, with um, how little the needle moves with a lot of effort, how um, different NGOs and politicians and companies who were interested in that space for different reasons failed to properly coordinate. So I imagined that I, um, that I could help and do a better job than they were at coordinating activities. And literally one day, I don't know how many years, three years ago, kind of Googled Oxford Impact and came up with an EMBA seems to make sense because I did feel like if I wanted to be in that space and do more of that work, nonprofit work in the last phase of my career, that it would it would speed up the process of networking, uh, which did happen. But also I I needed a refresher in in modern business practices and. And so but I will tell you that there was almost no time during the two years of EMBA uh, to do anything other than my full time law practice and and doing all the work necessary. And I happen to be one of those students. My classmates may laugh. I did read everything and I did prepare outlines and I, I wanted to capture everything so that I. Was able to recall it later on down the road if I needed to. Now someone like Knox can read it one time, and he gets it, and he gets it. But someone like me, I have to really organize my thoughts and have them in a format that I can pull about later. But but um, but it was interesting because while I had high aspirations of starting the process during EMBA, I found that I did not have time to focus on what's going to happen next. And um, and but interesting in the last really week of our of our classes, one of our professors sort of encouraged us to embrace the fact that nothingness, meaning taking a break, um, is okay. That's part of the journey. Capturing everything that you've learned and then imagining what it could look like going forward, but not to be afraid of uh, pausing a bit, giving yourself some margin to figure it out. Now, having said that, uh, I am involved with a nonprofit project in, in, in the education space in Africa. And I'm, I'm working on a on a legal tech project, both of which came out of the my MBA experience. And then as, a, as it relates to my law practice, it's so interesting because I have work that I'm getting now that I don't think I would have gotten except for having some sort of an Oxford pedigree. So the halo effect of the Oxford experience has already positively impacted my practice in ways that I didn't expect. And I suspect that will continue. But I do hope in the really the coming months that I'll be able to take a little bit of a break and then focus on some of these other projects, which were at the heart of my intention for Comandemba.
1: Knox, how about you?
2: So I'm, I entered the program very much in the career transition phase. I had a career in tech. I've had a career in law. And when I started working as a, as a lawyer, I was aware, I, I knew that it wasn't going to be the last thing that I did. And it was a question of when I started to transition out of law into something else. And um, the EMBA was really a tool to facilitate that, that transition. I knew I wanted to do something more business-oriented, to be on the field more as a player rather than an advisor. Um, and I knew I wanted to sort of change the way that I interacted with other people, um, the, the nature of management, the nature of team, and so I sort of had a sense more for what I like to do, what's next, rather than a specific thing in mind. So I'm still trying to figure out what I want to be when I grow up, um, and part of that process was, you know. Spending time with these wonderful people re-expanding my my horizon. As a big law partner, I became deeply specialized in a very narrow esoteric part of law that was relevant to a fairly small type of client that I had to engage with on a very particular type of, you know, fee structure or sort of project type. And it sort of narrowed my perspective of myself and of the world. And I think spending time both in the classroom and outside of the classroom with my, my colleagues sort of really broaden my personal horizons and professional horizons about what was possible and, 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 and how, where I could fit. And I think that a big part of the program was um, uh, helping to recontextualize me for, for the workplace. Um, I think as, as Joe was talking about, there's a very nice credentialing that comes with Oxford on your resume. But also having MBA on your on your resume gives people a reason to look at me other than as just a financial services regulatory lawyer um, and to maybe consider other ways of, you know, that, that I could add value. And so that's um, and, and it's, it's really it's paid off that way. So the nature of the conversations that I have right now are very much more dynamic, you know, I, I I'm not hearing oh we don't need financial services regulatory lawyer when when I'm doing networking or, or or going for interviews and I think it really is creating a wonderful path forward for me.
0: Hey Tom, can I just note? You know I think we all were amazed by Knox's act of courage of just literally withdrawing from the partnership of a magic circle firm in an incredibly distinguished career, sort of mid-program, just knowing that he didn't want to do that. And leaping into the unknown was
2: pretty amazing to me. I I admire you, Knox, for for that a lot. Thanks. And you know, it was um it it was an interesting process because I I, as you said, I knew that it was like that part had come to a close. I had a just a wonderfully fulfilling career. Um, But it just became clear to me that that was, you know, it's time to draw a line under that and do something new. And I didn't know what was next. And I've had conversations about this, about both the fear and the possibility of it with each of the people on uh, on this call and and with others. Um, And it's been and and I've really benefited from their support. um, And from everyone's support and something that was scary, but also right for me.
1: It took me till I was in my mid 50s. I always knew when the universe closed one door, another open. But what I learned in my mid-50s was, 50s was you had to have the courage to walk through. So kudos for walking through that door. Juan, how about you?
3: Yeah. Prior to answering your question, I I, I will also want to echo David's comment. It's it's very admirable what Knox has done so far. It's like uh, when you enter into the legal profession and you enter into a law firm and you became partner, and you're starting to live in the dream according to the standards of a, of a law firm. And certainly you have the courage to say, this is fantastic. I have done a fantastic career. And I think I, I have to move forward and move to another stage of my life. I, I think it's very admirable, Max. And I, and, I, and I have been very curious of your process because, of course, I'm, I'm not saying I'm quitting law right now. Yeah. I really love practice in law. That's one of the main conclusions after the MBA. Um, I really enjoy advising my clients and entering to projects and trying to help uh, develop in my country in a way of helping companies develop new jobs and new opportunities for people down here. But also the MBA gave me, um, from my perspective, this very lovely brand of Oxford in my in my resume, which is which is pretty remarkable, how people identify this brand very easily and um, and and make a, a very easy correlation that this guy should know something because he went to Oxford. Um, but that, that a part of that uh, superficial approach, I would say that I'm, I'm much more curious nowadays in building other aspects rather than law. And I'm trying to enter into ventures in a totally different way than I've done before. Uh, Much more curious about the business side or the social effect of these ventures rather than the legal approach. Because having practiced law for more than two decades and always thinking about legal problems and now thinking about, yeah, the legal problem is just one problem, not the only problem. It's something that i really value from that from this program.
1: David, I've had the chance to visit with you over the past several months on some of your thoughts about, if not a direction for your career, um, perhaps even a different way to deliver legal services. So I wanted to to ask you where you might see taking what you've learned and all of the experiences in Oxford. Is it around the delivery of legal services, or perhaps a different direction?
0: Yeah. So, um, like, my what I'm going to do when I grow up? We're going to save for a future uh, podcast, so I have a little bit more time to figure it out because I don't have any answer right now. But, but in terms of like the legal services point, I mean, I, I think it's really interesting, and I guess I'd be interested to hear my colleagues' views on this. You know, I mean, we're a guild, right? And we've had we've had a lot of success as a profession of you know fighting off modernity for <laughs> decades for sure and you know one of the things that has really sort of struck me about about our profession and the business of our profession particularly is just how unsophisticated we really are i mean it reminds me sometimes i see this in with our clients in like a mergers and acquisitions context where you have a very successful you know, family-owned business that gets acquired by a super sophisticated, you know, larger corporation, and you kind of see the people like, "Oh wow! Like, I didn't, I didn't know we could do that. I didn't know there was technology that could, could accomplish that. I didn't know there were systems that could be applied." I mean, it's, I, I feel that way, sort of all the time um, when I think about the legal services industry and how we deliver services to our client clients. We're just there's so much more out there and there's so much we could be bringing to make this, um, to make, to to serve our clients better. And, and so that's been a big, that's been a big sort of eye opener for me. I think the other point, I just want to sort of follow on what Juan said, which is I think exactly right. Um, You know, changing the way we think from just, you know, our clients present us with a legal problem that we solve to being able to Think more broadly about a legal problem as part of a broader business and strategic problem and giving them, you know, real solutions, systemic solutions to their problems, not just, you know, a a little corner of it. And I, I really think that for me anyway, I think that's probably the biggest change in terms of the way I think about legal services.
1: Gentlemen, I'd like to end by asking just your general final thoughts. I was going to ask something as mundane as would you recommend it for someone else, but I think I know the answer to that. So gentlemen, I ask you to start uh, just sort of final thoughts, whatever they might be on your entire experience. Yeah, I'm actually following up on something David was talking about, the law practice.
5: Um, it is a noble, noble calling. And and each of us, I know on this screen, and, and thankfully most of the, the men and women I've practiced law with, they view it that way. And and they're noble people, you know, that desiring to have high level of integrity and do great things and have a amazing impact on people and solve problems. One of the things that I've found that's so interesting, as hard as the work has been for me, um, it's, it's remembering the value of, con- continuously learning and growing. And and within literally weeks of EMBA, what I was learning, I was already applying in my own business practices and, and for and in behalf of my own clients. It enhanced the level of service that I was providing to my client. And so we're not too old to keep learning. And I think as lawyers, particularly, You think of all the things we've learned about leadership, about negotiations, about valuation, I mean, every, there's so many aspects of the course materials that we probably, some of you, I know I have already applied in some ways to, sorry, to to my law practice. So I, I am committed to continuing to learn. It's possible to continue to do that. Um, but. I'm definitely applying it and it's relevant and it's been helpful. But the one pat, the one last comment that I do want to make is for anyone who wants to go through this program, it, be mindful of the cost to everyone around you, your business partners. Well, let me say first, your family, your spouse, your children. Um, there's so much that goes into process like this. And, um, and I, and I, I I didn't do it perfectly, I know that, but I know that that's something to keep in mind and throughout the process of the Imba, is just continue to feed and nurture the relationships around you, your business partners, your family, your wife. So anyway, that was important to me. And I'm going to have to scoot off, guys, okay?
1: All right, Joe, thank you so much. Juan? Sure. Yeah, I think think one
3: of the, I will say that the entire program and the entire process was, you know, like this, like ups and downs all the time, especially for me, the jet lag, flying 10 hour fly every six weeks and just the, the first three days, a little bit, whoa, whoa, whoa jet lag it. But, um, but, but the process was amazing, you know, at the end of the week. Your head was about to explode with all the ideas, all the perspective, and all the things. And I would really, really recommend all my my colleagues to, um, and all the people that listen to this podcast to follow this program, especially in Oxford, not in Cambridge, but <laughs> that, but definitely that's that's something to do. Knox, how
1: about you?
2: So, just with. Uh... One of the things you said earlier in mind that uh, this has inspired people to think about um, whether they want to do an ember for themselves, I think just an observation on where I got the most value from. And, and, and that was the interaction with the cohort. Uh, that was far and away where I, I, I grew the most professionally and, and personally, and just an extraordinary experience. Um, definitely valued the being part of this broader Oxford network. I think that's going to pay dividends over a year, over the years. And there was some valuable classroom. But I mean, to be honest, if we wanted to learn those, you know, that academic material, there are ways that we could do that individually. So for anyone considering doing an EMBA, I would really encourage them to think about it as an experience and as a way of developing relationships and to pick the program on that basis and the i i was the oxford program stood out for me um there was two of them i was considering one of them met on fridays and saturdays every other weekend and that clearly is going to skew the cohort to be more local and there will be less time for those things that I told you were so valuable and stood out to me, which is just spending time with other people unstructured after class outside of class. And I picked the Oxford program because it was a week at a time at Oxford. And I knew that that would mean lots of time with people to develop those friendships. And so i I, I would encourage people to 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 have that in mind that 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 cohort forming, benefit uh really stood out so to to I think prioritize that if they're thinking about a program.
4: Tariq So I'll I'll definitely second what Knox has said. I think that um the cohort itself is is the sort of um uh, the biggest plus as far as Oxford is concerned. I'll sort of touch a bit about I think I think the name Oxford, other than what it's there as far as your connections or or CV or any conversation you may have, it's it's important, but I think it gives you a certain amount of confidence as to. um, Actually implement any ideas that you may have, and I think that's where it's really helpful in the sense that you can touch base with any member of your cohort and seek advice, you will get good advice. you have access to a wider group of Oxford college alumni that can become really helpful. I mean, I'll give an example in Pakistan. We've got two Oxford graduates, ex-prime ministers. So it's an, it's an access thing. It's, it's, it's that thinking, that ability to sort of achieve what you want to achieve. You, I think you become a bit more ambitious in, in what your goals are even though you've achieved a lot, but you still feel that you can go much, much further. And I think that's what Oxford brings.
1: David, I'm going to ask you to play full Ed McMahon, kind of either answer that, wrap us up, and but just yeah. take
0: us home. So, so I mean, Tom, to, for you and like anybody who's been listening to this and hearing me like rave about the quality of my classmates, I'm just going to end it with I told you so. I mean, you guys have now just seen – a slice you know just the private practice lawyer slice of the talent that that we've all had the privilege to 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 be around for two years and so i i think i think this last 50 minutes or so really really highlights that so i'm grateful to all my classmates to to you on the call and and to to everybody else that are in different professions and added different perspectives but thanks for joining us and um and thanks for an amazing amazing couple of years
1: This is Tom Fox again. I hope you've enjoyed this special episode of A Yank in Oxford, and I hope you'll join David and I again where David sets out some of his final reflections on his Oxford Executive NBA experience.